0: Well, thanks for coming today. If you are a dad, would you mind standing up? If you don't mind doing that, we'd like to recognize all of the dads that are here. Just remain standing for a moment. Just, just okay. Yeah, remain standing guys. See how much you're paying attention. If you had a dad, would you stand up? That should be everybody. If you're listening, if you didn't have a dad, you don't belong here. All right, turn to your neighbor and say, we're gonna be blessed today. Okay, you can be seated, Dads. Happy, happy Father's Day to you. Thank you for watching on television, by computer, online, to our campus at Mill Creek, to our campus here. I do wanna wish everybody a happy Dad's Day. There's a 35-year-old man in California who uh, has no use for the church, he's not interested in Christianity, has absolutely no use for even people that call themselves Christians. When they ask him why he had such antipathy, antagonism, absolute indifference to the church and to those of us who call ourselves Christians. Here's what he said. Christians have become political, judgmental, intolerant, weak, religious, angry, and without balance. Christianity has become a nice Sunday drive. Where is the living God, the Holy Spirit, an amazing Jesus, the love, the compassion, the holiness, This type of life, how I yearn for that. Have you ever felt that way? Or have you ever known someone that feels that way? Some of you have kids today that don't darken the door of the church because they feel that way. You have a husband or a wife or a sister or a brother. They're not coming. You can invite them. You can beg. You can plead. You can borrow. You can buy. You can bribe. You can do anything you want to. They're not having it. Because they kind of feel exactly the way he feels. And whether you think it's fair or not, there has never been more antipathy and more apathy to the church in our nation than there is right now. There's never been more indifference to Christians and to Christianity than there is right now. And to be very transparent and very honest and very open, a big part of it is our fault. It's not their fault. It's our fault. We have 900,000 plus people that live in this county. Hundreds of thousands live within drive miles of our church. Why do we have empty seats? Why does every church have empty seats? It's our fault. It's really a lot of it is on us. I mean, let's be honest. The way some Christians in America behave make me wanna turn in my membership card. Christians misrepresenting Jesus and the gospel is not just an American problem, and it's not a new problem. As a matter of fact, it's a big part of why a man named Paul wrote a book called Galatians to a church in Asia 2,000 years ago, because they had the same problem we had. There were Christians in the church totally misrepresenting Jesus, totally misrepresenting Christianity, totally misrepresenting the gospel, and they were, place, they were replacing the liberty that comes in trusting with Jesus, in Jesus with the legalism that comes from trying to keep the law. And the problem has never left us. It's alive and well today. I'll give you an example. 70% of people in America today describe themselves as Christian. That's what they say they are. But when you dig deeper, Only one out of five of those say that a Christian and Christianity is about trusting in Jesus Christ and having a personal relationship with him. The other 80% associate being a Christian with living a certain lifestyle and behaving a certain way. And so many of them equate the term Christian with, oh, you mean, do I attend church? Am I religious? Do I cross my T's? Do I dot my I's? So in other words, the vast majority of people in America today who call themselves Christians believe that in order to be a Christian, you've got to add do's and don'ts. Go here, don't go there. Obey this, don't obey that. You've got to add something to Jesus or else it's not enough. You gotta have rules, you gotta have regulations, you gotta have ritual, and most of all, you've got to have religion. And you've gotta do religion our way. I grew up in churches like that. Some of you are gonna remember this, some of you are younger, you're gonna think what I'm gonna say is funny. But I remember the day when I grew up and I went to church, and you were taught. You couldn't dance, you couldn't play cards, You couldn't go to ball games on Sunday. You couldn't go to restaurants that served alcohol. And ladies, if you wore a pantsuit, you were headed for hell. You remember that. You're gonna be a real Christian, be right with God, don't wear tattoos. No nose rings, no mouth rings, no ring ring. You can't do anything like that or you're in big trouble. Now today, the symptoms are different, but the problem is the same. Because we still have a big problem in church today that we tend to focus more on what's on the outside than we do on what's the inside. You're gonna find this funny, but believe me, being on TV, I mean, I hear it. There are still people today that are a lot more concerned with what I'm wearing than what I'm saying. And I it's rarely a week goes by. I wish you were in a suit again. I wish you wore a shirt and tie again. I wish, you know, one day I'm just gonna come in a tux just to kind of break everything up. And oh, by the way, yeah, there are people that are more concerned that the style of worship pleases them than it does please God while we're in the neighborhood. So we've got the same problems, we just got different. Symptoms. Listen, there are people that are a lot more concerned. I get this every year. Sometimes I'll tweet out Merry Xmas. Well, the letter X, if you know anything about the Greek New Testament, the letter X stands for Christ. It's the first letter for Christ. I'll get it. Man, shame on you for putting Merry Xmas. We need to put the Christ back in Christmas. And I want to say, if you'll just know the Greek New Testament, I never took Christ out. But we've got people that are more concerned that I write X instead of Christ than that people know the Christ who's both the Christ and the X. So Paul is addressing this problem. And let me remind you, there are only two types of spiritual faith in the world and all but one falls into one type and it's easy to spot. One faith leads to liberty, all the others lead to legalism. One is dependent on our goodness The other is dependent on God's grace. One focuses on what we need to do for God. The other focuses on what God has done for us. One emphasizes our performance. The other one emphasizes God's provision. So if you have a copy of God's Word, or hopefully you have this booklet. If you don't, we'll give you one after the service. We're calling this the year of discipleship, the year of the disciple. And if you've got this book, if you'll turn to page 14, you'll see the passage that we're studying and you can take notes today. We're in a series that we're calling free at last. And Paul is hitting everything I've been talking about head on because I believe one thing ought to be true about our church. I'm not gonna speak for any other church, our church. When people walk into this church, I don't care if they don't dress the way we think they ought to be dressed. I don't care if we pick up pretty quickly. You don't live the lifestyle that I approve of. You don't really live the lifestyle that I like. You don't live a lifestyle that I do. Or when people walk into our church and for whatever the reason, whether it be their appearance or their attitude, you've got this thinking, you really don't belong here. Let me tell you what every person ought to find when they come into our church. They ought to find two things. If they don't find both of these things, we ought to close up shop, sell this property and go find some other place to go. They ought to find the God of grace and they ought to find the grace of God. They ought to find the God of grace and they ought to find the grace of God. Because see, here's the problem. When we add more rules, stricter regulations, tighter restrictions, better religion, here's what we just did. We put God's grace on the shelf and we put our goodness on the table. And as we're going to see at the end of the day, Paul says grace is the only thing that counts. It's not the best thing, it's not the biggest thing. Paul said it is the only thing that counts. And listen, what I'm gonna say this morning is so important about for believers and unbelievers. Because if we're believers, if we're really true believers in Christ, we ought to be about the only thing that counts, and unbelievers ought to see by the way we live and the way we act and the way we treat them, we understand that grace is the only thing that counts. The question is, how do you do that? And Paul says to these Galatians, there's three things we need to do with God's amazing grace. Number one, we need to stand firm for grace. We need to stand firm for grace. Now, we've been in Galatians, we're kind of blowing through pretty quickly the first four chapters. And if you would like to know, quite frankly, what Paul has been saying and what the book of Galatians is all about, he really sums it all up in two sentences in Galatians chapter five, verse one. Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burned again by a yoke of slavery. If you wanna know what the book of Galatians is all about, if you wanna know why Paul wrote this letter, there it is in two sentences. He says, look, let's get one thing straight. Jesus Christ did not come to this earth to give us a new religion, He didn't come to give us more rules that we need to keep. He didn't come to add more regulations. He didn't come to burden us with more restrictions. He came for freedom. He came to set us free. Now, that statement is pregnant with meaning. Oh, wait a minute, he came to set us free. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Who needs to be set free? Slaves, people in captivity, people in bondage. You say, well, who's he talking about? Everybody who's ever been born. Because whether you realize it or not, the moment you took your first breath, when you came out of your mother's womb, the, first, the greatest thing you need in life, you need freedom. Yes. You say, well, what do you mean? I, I mean, I, I'm born in America, I, I don't need freedom. Oh no, you don't need political freedom, you need spiritual freedom. You say, why? Because we were all born slaves. Say, what kind of slaves? We were all born in slavery to sin. Every one of us. See, people all over the world want to be free to do what they want to do. In one sense, we are. God's given all of us the freedom to go where we want to go, do what we want to do. We live in a great country. You're free to come to church. You're free not to. You're free to believe in God. You're free not to. You're free to worship God. You're free not to. We basically, we, we have busted it in this country to give, many people, to give people as many freedoms as we know how to give them. And yet, here's something we learn. One day the light comes on, we realize, you know, freedom is not all what it's it's all cracked up to be. Because here's what we find happening to us. We do things that we know we shouldn't do. And we don't do things that we know we should do. We say things that we know we shouldn't say them. And we don't speak up when we know that we should. It is frustrating. And you look yourself in the mirror and you go, why can't I get it right all the time? Why can't I I reach this standard of perfection? And all of a sudden we realize, you know, this freedom I've been celebrating is really bondage. Because we spend all of our lives over and over, we keep repeating the same mistakes. I'm never going to do that again, but we do it. The next time I'm in that situation, I'm going to speak up, but we don't. And we wonder why, what is the problem? We all know what the problem is, we don't know what the solution is. And they had the same situation going on in this church. There was a group of people in the church that were called Judaizers. And they said, you know what? You think that Christ is all you need, but he's not. You think grace and faith is all you need, but they're not. If you really wanna be right with God, you need more laws. You need to obey more commandments. And that's what we tend to think. I mean, think about the government. We think Washington, D.C. is convinced, you know what, we can solve our problems with more laws. Let's just pass more laws. We've got more laws on the books than we've ever had in our history. And you know what I've learned? The more laws they make, the more laws we break. legislation is just not solving our problem. And that's what Paul is talking about when he compares legalism to a yoke of slavery. He compares the law to a yoke. What's a yoke for? A yoke's for an animal. A yoke is for oxen, because what does a yoke do? It controls the animal. So here's the problem Paul's trying to point out. You can try to obey the commandments. You can try to keep the law. You can try to do your best, but at the end of the day, the law never changes anybody. We could pass a law today, and we really basically have tried to do it. We could say, okay, racism is illegal in this country, but you're still gonna have racists. Absolutely. We can pass any law we wanna pass, but laws never change anybody. So we got all these laws on all these books and all these regulations and all these rules in all these counties and all these cities and in all of our country and people still live like animals, why? Because at the end of the day, law doesn't give us freedom, it just adds to our bondage. And then Paul comes along and says, if I got news for you, Jesus came to give us freedom, Amen. but not just freedom, real freedom. Because real freedom, listen, Real freedom is not the ability to do what I want. It is the power to do what I ought. And so Jesus came and said, hey, you know all these laws you've been trying to keep and all these commandments you've been trying to obey and all these rules you've been trying to observe and all these restrictions you've been trying not to break, I got news for you. I came to free you from the law. Now, as you're gonna see in a moment, freedom from the law is not freedom to sin. It is a freedom from finally getting in our head, hey, I don't have to be good enough, do enough, work enough, give enough, or serve enough until, uh, to have a relationship with God because until you realize you'll never be good enough, you'll never do enough, you'll never work enough, you will never give enough for God. You will always be in bondage. And it's not until, and this, this happened to me. I kind of had an epiphany. I don't remember when or where it was or when, but there was a time in my life I finally realized what happened to me as a nine-year-old boy when I gave my life to Christ. And I finally got it through my thick head. You know what? What makes me right with God is His grace and my faith. Amen. Period. It's not what I do. It's not all the boxes I check off. It's not making sure I don't go where I shouldn't go and do go where I should go. It has nothing to do with that. It's all about grace and faith. And I finally experienced real freedom. And what Paul was saying is we need to stand firm for grace. We must never let anybody or anything add to grace or take anything away from grace. And by the way, that word for stand firm, this is one reason why I love the Greek New Testament. You talk about a garlic breath strong term. It's a military term, and it's a strong military. If you just served in the military, you'll appreciate this. That word referred to a general that would get all of his army together. They're about to go what would be the last battle of the war, and that general would say, men, we're about to go fight a battle. Everything depends on how you fight, so here are your marching orders. You are to fight to the last drop of your blood. There's to be no retreat. You don't turn, you don't run, you stand your ground until the battle is won. That's the word Paul uses. He said, you stand firm for grace. Don't you ever let anybody add anything to grace. Don't you ever let anybody take away anything for grace. Don't you ever give an inch to anything that denies Jesus, dilutes Jesus, or downgrades Jesus. He said, listen, Jesus has come to set us free. Amen. Free from the wrath of God. Amen. Yeah. Free from the power of sin. Free from the guilt of doing wrong. Free from the fear of death. And here's some good news. Free from the expectations of other people. Right. Jesus came to give us freedom. So he said, you stand firm for grace. How do you do that? Well, he tells us the second step. You stay focused on grace. The way you stand firm for grace, you stay focused on grace. Now remember, Paul is dealing with these people who are Jewish Christians. And they walked into this church and they said, look, you really wanna be a real Christian? You gotta be a Jewish Christian. You gotta live like a Jew. You gotta act like a Jew. You gotta walk like a Jew. You gotta talk like a Jew. You basically have to become a Jew or you really can't be a Christian. Well, one of the marks guys, Happy Father's Day, one of the marks of being a Jew is circumcision. And they were teaching, these Galatians, grace is not enough, Jesus is not enough, faith is not enough, you have to be circumcised. Now, the reason why that's so applicable to us is this, every religion in the world is a circumcision religion. Every religion in the world is a circumcision religion. So at the end of the day, just pick any religion you want to. It doesn't matter to me, I'll prove this to you. Pick anyone you want to. Here's what they're really saying to you. Unless you blank, and then you fill in the blank, get baptized, join our church, follow our rules, Observe our regulations. You can't come to God, you can't have God, you can't know God, you can't experience God. And what Paul is telling us is, if you take your eyes off the road of grace, you'll start running into all kinds of ditches and you'll experience all kinds of problems. You say, what kind? Paul lays them out, verse two. Paul said, mark my words. I, Paul tell you, if you let yourselves be circumcised Christ will be of no value to you at all. Now that is such a strong warning. Here's what he said, listen to this. He said, when you add anything to Jesus, you just subtracted Jesus from everything. When you add anything to Jesus, you just subtracted Jesus from everything. So what Paul said to them 2,000 years ago was this, you can choose circumcision or Christ. You can't choose both. What would we say? We'd say, here's here's, here's way I would say it today. You can choose religion, or you can choose redemption. You can't choose both. You can choose rules, or you can choose a relationship. You can't choose both. You, you, you can choose goodness, or you can choose grace. You can't. Choose both, because Paul said, once you add anything to Jesus, no matter how sweet it sounds, how good it seems, how logical it is, when you add anything to Jesus, you just took all the value of his death and his burial and his resurrection completely away. I was reading the other day about wine. It's kind of interesting, I didn't know this about wine. Some of you may know it, I didn't know it. But when you open a bottle of red wine oxygen enters into that wine. It causes an oxidation reaction that in just a short period of time, maybe three or four days, it completely ruins the wine. When I read that, I thought to myself, you know what? The moment you add anything to grace or you add anything to faith, you just ruin the gospel. You just ruined everything we really believe. And it's a matter of time before something else will take its place all together. So here's what Paul said, I'll make it easy. Grace plus faith equals salvation. We know that, but here's what Paul said. If you add anything on this side of the equation, you just took away everything from that side of the equation. If you add anything to this side, you just took everything from that side. So here's what Paul said. Once, he said once, I think that's right, yeah. He said, once you believe, I'm, I'm sorry, you're right. I was back, go back, my bad. Again, I declare to you, every man who lets himself be circumcised, he is obligated to obey the whole law. Now, you talk about a shot to the gut. He says, okay, guys, so you've decided you want to go back and put the handcuffs of the law on. Is that right? You've decided, you know what? I think they're right. Grace is not enough. Faith is not enough. Jesus is not enough. I'm going to go back and I'm going to be circumcised. Paul says, okay, understand what you're getting into. And here's what he was saying. Once you believe, you got to do anything to be accepted by God. You've got to do everything to be accepted by God. Because I told you last week, if you remember, probably don't, I don't remember what I preached either. God only has one passing grade, and that's 100. You make 99, you flunk. You make 99.99, you flunk. You make 99.99 to infinity, you flunk. There's only one passing grade, 100. So here's the problem. If you decide, okay, I've got to somehow be good enough for God, you're going to run into a problem you'll never be able to solve. And that's the problem of knowing when is good enough, good enough. When do I ever get there? And you'll never be sure that you're ever good enough because you can never be good enough for God. And that's why the gospel is so wonderful. Because this is what grace tells us. Listen, you never have to be good enough for God. And you can't be good enough for God. And you don't have to be good enough for God, why? Because Jesus is good enough for you. Amen. That's simple. Amen. Not complicated, not brain science or rocket science. Then Paul lowers the boom, watch what he says here. He says, you are trying to be justified by the law, all right? You've been alienated from Christ. Then he says this strong thing, You have fallen from grace. Paul says, if you don't stay focused on grace, you will fall from grace. Now, let me just stop and deal with an issue here. Some of you probably know where I'm going. There are people who take this one verse and this one phrase and they say, see there, you can lose your salvation. Paul just said that, right? So you, 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 you were saved by grace, but now you kind of tried to add to grace and now all of a sudden you have fallen away from grace. Well, let me tell you why I know that's not what Paul was saying and why that cannot be true. First of all, you were here several weeks ago, we talked about this. The Bible very clearly teaches that once a person is truly saved, they don't say they're saved, they're truly saved, they are always saved. It's just impossible to lose your salvation. But the bigger problem here is that's not even what Paul's talking about. Paul's not even dealing with losing your salvation. As a matter of fact, I was reading the other day, there were two pastors that lived in the same town. I won't tell you what denominations they were, but one pastor was from a denomination that taught that you cannot lose your salvation. The other pastor was from a denomination that taught you could lose your salvation, and they were both big buddies. Well, the pastor who taught you can't lose your salvation happened to be on vacation, kind of a staycation, and he read in the paper where his buddy was gonna be preaching about going to heaven. So he thought he would kind of surprise his buddy. He didn't tell him he was coming. He thought, I'm going to hear what he has to say about going to heaven. So he walked in and he sat down, sitting in the middle of the, of, the, of the church. And right in the middle of the sermon, his pastor friend saw him sitting out there. So he thought he'd have a little fun. And he said, Hey, John. He said, Man, he's glad, I'm glad to see you. He said, John, by the way, he said, If you get to heaven before I do, tell them I'm coming. Pastor couldn't resist. He said back, He said, Jim, I can't do that. Because you might fall from grace and not get there, then I'd be kicked out for lying. Now, this is not what Paul was talking about. As a matter of fact, that phrase, you've fallen from grace, that's the only time it's found in the New Testament, the only time that phrase is ever used. Here's what Paul was simply say. When you fall from grace, you fall right back into legalism. When you walk away from grace and you walk away from faith, and you walk away from Jesus and Jesus only, you just put the handcuffs of legalism back on. You just went from freedom back into slavery. You just went from liberty back into bondage. Because whenever you add a plus sign to grace or a plus sign to faith or a plus sign to Jesus, God adds a minus sign to you. So let me tell you what he was saying. Let me, let me, let me just make sure you understand this. Because what Paul was doing is trying to warn the church then, like I'm trying to warn us today. He was trying to warn these people, when you don't stay focused on grace, when you don't stand firm for grace, you are going to wind up running into one of two ditches and I've seen people do it all of my ministry. One ditch you'll run into is the ditch of legalism and the other ditch you'll run into is is, is the ditch of license. Now let me explain what I mean by that. I was reading this morning in my quiet time, I was reading my Bible And I was reading about Jesus was talking to the disciples and he said something that was so interesting. He said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they didn't know what he was talking about. I was reading that this morning. I thought, man, that's what I'm gonna be talking about today. Do you know what the leaven of the Pharisees was? It was legalism. You know what the leaven of the Sadducees was? It was license. Here's what the Pharisees said. The Pharisees had all these rules they made up and all these laws they made up and all these regulations they came up. 613 of them, they added them to the, to, to the Old Testament. They said, if you don't keep all of these rules, you're not gonna be right with God. So they were legalists. Then you had Sadducees. Say, so why were they called Sadducees? Well, they didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see. So they were Sadducees. They didn't believe in the resurrection. Well, they didn't really believe much of anything. You know what they said? Live any way you want to. Live any kind of lifestyle you want to. You're okay. I'm okay. We're okay. God's okay. Everybody is okay. And what Paul is saying is when you take your focus off of grace and you get off the road of grace, you will go to one of two extremes. You'll either say grace can't be enough. Jesus can't be enough. Faith can't be enough. This is too good to be true. I've got to keep the law. I've got to obey the commandments. I've got to be baptized. I've got to be catechized. I've got to go to confirmation. I've got to go to confession. I've got to cross the T's. I've got to dot the I's if I want to be right with God. That's one extreme. We don't have that extreme much today inside, outside the church we do inside. The problem we got outside the church is license. Here's what we hear outside the church today. God is a God of love. God loves everybody. God loves me. God loves you. You can live any way you want to. I can live any way I want to. I can choose any lifestyle I want to. And God loves me. And God accepts me just the way I am. And God accepts me just the way I act. Well, Paul dealt with the first ditch. He thought you've been spending four chapters dealing with. No. Law and keeping the law and obeying the law and observing the law has nothing to do with getting right with God and it will never get you where you want to go. So he's taking care of the legalism part, but boy, now he tackles the license part. And he says, okay, do you wanna know whether or not you're standing firm for grace? Do you wanna know whether or not you're staying focused on grace? You say, yeah, how do you know you're doing that? Watch this, Paul says, if that's true, you will show faithfulness to grace. Now watch this. This, by the way, is my favorite part of the whole deal. Paul's been hammering the grace of God in faith in Jesus. And I promise you, you know, I guarantee you the last couple of weeks I've preached here, and I'm just trying to tell you this is true. There's some messages you just know, I'm gonna be loved by everybody today. No emails this week, no letters this week, no phone calls this week. Cause what have I been telling you? It's all by grace. And it's all by faith. And oh man, that's, I I love that. I love that, no judgment, no hell, no wrath, no this man. I I mean, you are the second coming of Joel Osteen. I mean, you know, just just a joke, just a joke. I love Joel, Joel's a nice guy, okay, look. And you you know, you, you love that kind of stuff. And Paul's been hammering grace of, don't show that on TV. Paul's been hammering the grace of God. And Paul's been hammering faith in Jesus. He says, your relationship has nothing to do with how good you are. And you go, oh, thank you, Lord. I don't have to be good. And it has nothing to do with you keeping the law, goodness, gracious, man, I can dump the commandments. Jesus is the great emancipator. However, the devil's in the details. Remember what we said, freedom is not the ability to do what you want to do, it's the power to do what you ought to do. So, Paul says, let me tell you about grace. Grace doesn't just deal with your past, it does. We love that part of grace. You mean I just come to God and he offers me grace? You mean I place my faith in Christ? And you mean to tell me he wipes the slate clean? You mean I can look in my past, my file cabinet is empty, there's no record of any wrongdoing. When God looks at me, all he sees is the righteousness of Jesus. That's what I'm telling you. You go, where do I sign up for that? You talk about a blue light special, I'm in. But then Paul said, yeah, but grace doesn't just deal with your past. It deals with your present and it deals with your future. You go, well, what do you mean? Well, if Paul said, well, let's deal with your future first. Okay, what's this. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await, we're waiting on something by faith. Well, what are we waiting on? What's this? The righteousness for which we hope. Not the righteousness we're trying to get to, not the righteousness we're trying to produce, not the righteousness we're trying to earn. He said the righteousness for which we hope. Now what's Paul saying? What's this? God's a righteous God. God demands righteousness from us, right? and, And that shouldn't be controversial. A righteous God should expect righteousness from us. However, Only the Holy Spirit living in us can make us righteous. And we'll never be totally righteous and perfectly righteous until we go to Jesus. So Paul is saying, listen, righteousness is not something we work for. It is something we wait for. I I, I hate to burst bubbles. I'm pretty good at doing that sometimes. But for those of you out there that think you're trying to work your way to God, let me give you some good news. Stop, because you're not gonna get there. You cannot work your way to God. Here's what Paul said, this is so good. He says, we're not trying to work our way to God. By faith, we're waiting on God to come get us. We're waiting on God to give us the righteousness that we need, that's for the future. But oh, meanwhile, back at the ranch, what about today? what about the life I'm trying to live on Monday morning? Watch how Paul concludes, watch this. He says, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Keep that in mind. The only thing that counts, that's where I got the title of my message. The only thing that counts is faith. Well, what kind of faith? Faith expressing itself through love. So now, Substitute any words you want to for circumcision or uncircumcision. Here's what Paul said. For in Christ Jesus, neither baptism, nor religion, nor ritual, nor rules, nor voting Democrat, nor voting Republican, nor doing your best, nor trying your hardest has any value. Jesus says, that means nothing to me. The only thing that counts is faith. Oh, but wait a minute. Not just any kind of run of the mill, dime a dozen faith. He says, the faith I'm talking about, the faith that I honor, the faith that I give, and the faith you better have is a faith that expresses itself through love. So what was he saying? Salvation is only by grace through faith without works. I'm going to say that again and make sure you heard me. Salvation is by grace through faith without works. If you heard that, say amen. amen. All right, everybody got it. Salvation is by grace through faith without works. However, the faith that grace produces is a faith that works. We like the first part. We don't like the second one. But the faith that grace produces is a faith that works. So when you stand firm for grace and you stay focused on grace, you'll show faithfulness to grace because here's what real faith is. Faith is not just what you say you believe on the inside. Faith is what you show you believe on the outside, which is why James the Lord's brother says, talk is cheap. Don't tell me your faith, show me your faith. That's what real faith is all about. Now listen, I'm gonna try to get real deep for just a moment. Faith and works are separate. Everybody got it? Faith and works are separate. But faith and works are inseparable. Faith and works are separate. But faith and works are inseparable. In other words, buckle your seatbelt. There's a difference between ordinary faith and saving faith. And when the Bible talks about faith, it doesn't just talk about, it doesn't mean, here, or here's what I believe in my head. It's what you've accepted in your heart. And here's the point Paul is making. When you experience grace on the inside, you want to express grace on the outside. Yes, Jesus Christ has come to set us free. He did. But he didn't come to set us free to do what we want to do. That's what we were born doing. He came to set us free to do what we ought to do. And I'm going to tell you something. If you're one of these people out there, you're one of these cats out there and you're saying, I'm going to tell you something. Nobody's going to tell me how to live. Somehow, talking about Father's Day, Frank Sinatra must have been my dad because I do it my way. Jesus came to free you from that. And that's not freedom, that's bondage. Because freedom is not doing what you want to do. Freedom is doing what you ought to do, and his freedom is doing what God wants you to do. That's what freedom is. Not to live the way you want, but the way God wants. See, grace does not lead to legalism. Grace does not lead you to say, well, I've got to obey the law to be right with God. No, you don't. However, it doesn't lead to license where you say, wonderful, I don't have to obey the law, and I'm still right with God. No, liberty leads to love. So here's the point. Do I have to keep the commandments to have a relationship with God? No. Nope. Do I have to obey the law to keep to, be, to you know to have a relationship with God? No. Nope. Do I have to go to church and be active in a church to be right to, to have a relationship with God? No. Nope. But if you're right with God, you'll want to obey the law. Amen. If you're right with God, you'll want to keep the commandments. If you're right with God, you wanna be a part of God's family in some church. If if you're right with God, you wanna be sent, you want to serve, you wanna worship, you want a disciple, if you're right with God. So faith and works, they're separate, but they are inseparable. And I'm gonna illustrate to you why this is the only thing that counts. So this week's been a tough week for me. This past week, I drove to Birmingham with Teresa and my grandson Connor, my three-year-old grandson, and we went to the Southern Bass Convention. We were there Sunday, got there Sunday night. We left, came back Wednesday night. Well, I got back Wednesday night, had turned around and packed and go back Thursday because I'm, I, Friday I was preaching about 6,000 men in a great conference in Birmingham. And so I was invited Thursday by a guy on our TV board to come over and play a beautiful golf course over in, 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 in Birmingham and I felt led to the spirit to go. So <laughs> I drive over to Birmingham on Thursday and we're gonna play this golf course. This is a very exclusive golf course. And you can't, you don't have carts there. You have to walk and you have caddies. My caddy was a, a, lady, a young lady, 21 years old from Argentina, her name was Anna Perez. So we're about to tee off and I said, Anna, find out where she, she's a student in Alabama, goes to Jacksonville State. I said, Anna, I said, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, I'm a, I'm a pastor, a oh, wonderful pastor. And I said, do, do you mind if we talk about spiritual things? She said, no, I would, I, I would love to. And I said, look, you don't have to do it. No, no, I'd love to. I said, okay. I said, can I tell you what I'd like to share with you today? She said, what? I said, I would like to share with you the best news you'll ever hear in your life. She said, oh, man, I, I, that's wonderful. So, I mean, I, 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 I tee off. I hit the first ball. She's standing there. I didn't even see I thought she'd be walking. She's waiting on me. She said, well, what's the best news? I said, well, I can't tell you. I, I got to tell you the bad news first. I said, oh, really? Yeah, I said, well, she said, what's the bad news? We're just walking. I said, well, the bad news is, I said, I know something about you. I said, I can tell just by talking to you. You're you're a wonderful young lady. You're sweet. You're kind. You're gracious. You're going to take good care of me today. You're a good caddy. But you're not perfect, are you? She dropped her head. No, sir, I'm not perfect. I said, you're not, are you? I've done things wrong. We've all made mistakes. And I said, you know what? We call making a mistake, fouling it up, messing it up. You know, the Bible calls sin. And I said, the bad news is we're sinners separated. You know, we're all sinners separated from God. I said, because God is righteous and we're not, there's this gulf between us and God. She said, yeah, I know, and she said, that, that, that makes me feel so bad. And I said, well, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. You're just bad. <laughs> and I realized that didn't really come out the way I meant for it to come out, but I just <laughs> kept going. So we're walking, and I just kind of let that percolate. Rick, you'll love this. You'll love this. I just let it percolate. So then she says, well, well what's the good news? What, no, she said, what's the best news? Well, I, I can't tell you the best news. I got to tell you the worst news. She said, Me, it gets worse? I said, Yeah, it gets worse. She stopped. She said, Lord, what, what, now what? I said, Well, the bad news is we're sinners separated from God. The worst news is there's nothing you can do to take care of your sin problem. She said, Well, well I'm Catholic. I said, Well, that just makes you a Catholic sinner. <laughs> I said, I bet you were baptized when you were a baby. She said, I was. I said, That's so what made you a wet sinner. She said, "I, I bet you, I, I bet you, I bet you have gone to church a lot in your life." She says, "I have." I said, That's what makes you a religious sinner. I said, I, "I bet you've just, I bet you've taken the Lord's Supper. You've taken, she said, I said, "That just makes you a full sinner." I said, "There's nothing you have to do." At the end of the day, what are you still? She says, "I'm a sinner." I said, "That's right." I said, "The problem is, there's nothing you can do to take care of your sin problem." I let that percolate. We walked another hole. And she came up to me and she said what's the best news? Well, I said, I can't tell you the best news. He said, oh, don't tell me it's worse news." I said, no, 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 it's good news. Okay, finally the good news. I said, the good news is God loves you so much. He sent Jesus to do for you what you could not do for yourself. You owed a debt called sin. You could never pay off. He paid the debt off. He didn't know. You know why he could pull that off? Because he was perfect. So when he died, he didn't die in his sin. He died for your sin. He put all of our sins on Jesus. And to prove that Jesus pulled that off, God raised him from the dead. Boy, I'm telling you, she now she's in. So now we're on the ninth hole. We're standing under a tree right next to a lake. My ball's sitting there and I'm about to hit the ball. I really was so concentrating on the ball. I forgot about conversation. And I said, I uh, said, what do you think I ought to hit here? She said, I think you ought to tell me the best news. That's what I think you ought to do. I said, you're right, that's what I ought to do. I said, Anna, here's the best news. I said, the best news is to have a relationship with God and be right with God and know you are, you gotta have forgiveness of your sins and eternal life. I said, the best news, it's free. All you have to do is accept it. It has nothing to do with being a Baptist Catholic, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, white, or black. You just accept the gift. She laid my golf bag down and she took her hat off and she said, I want to receive that gift right now. And right under that little tree there on that golf course, that little girl prayed and asked Christ to come into her heart. Now, now, let me say this because I'm, I'm only going to tell you I'm over time. So, Georgian, look at your watch. I'm over time, so forgive me. I'm sorry. But it's Father's Day, I get to do it. We got to the end of the round. She hurt my neck. Thank you, Pastor for telling me about Jesus. I said, "Hannah, I thought I came over here to play golf. I didn't. That was obvious by the way I played, by the way. I said, Anna, I came to tell you about Jesus. Now, let me tell you why I tell that story. Two things that I'm done. So do forgive me for being long. I apologize. Some of you sit there right now and you say, well, <laughs> sure, you tell those stories. You're a pastor. You ought to be doing that. you're a Christian. You ought to be doing that. You got the same message I've got. There are Annas out there waiting on you. You live next door to them. You play golf with them. You work next to them. And that's why we keep beating this, who's your one? Because there are Annas everywhere. They just need to hear, you know what the only thing that counts? The grace of God and our faith in Jesus. Let's pray together. With his bowed and eyes closed. I just want to ask you one simple question. It's this one. How many of you are listening to me right now and you would say, I've lived in bondage all of my life. I've lived in slavery all of my life. I've been a slave to sin. I've been a slave to religion. I've been a slave to trying to be good enough. I've been a slave to trying to, to, to do enough. I've been a slave to trying to be religious enough. I want to get out of slavery. I want to get out of jail free. I want to walk out of here and know for the rest of my life, I have a relationship with God that will never end. I am right with God now and forever. And it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with him. And you've tried everything. You've tried the drugs, you've tried the sex, you've tried the alcohol, you've tried the pornography. You've tried everything, hasn't worked because it can't. Jesus came to set us free. I just wonder, how many of you like to go to bed tonight free? You say, that's me. Then why don't you just tell Jesus right now? Why don't you just say, Lord Jesus, I want to be free, free from my sin, free from thinking anymore, I have to be right with you, that I I have to do enough for you. Free of thinking it's even about me, because it's not, it's all about you. So today, Lord Jesus, I'm asking you to set me free. I am giving my life to you. I am trusting you as my savior. I am receiving you as my Lord. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you for giving me eternal life. And now Lord Jesus, through the spirit of God that now lives in me, help me to express my faith through love for you until I go to be now, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, you really meant it, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you to take out that card that you were given when you walked in here, that connection point card. If you prayed that prayer me, do this right now. I want you to take that card right now, sign your name, give us some contact information, cell number, email address, something. At the bottom, there's a box that says, today I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want you to check off that box. now. You check off the first one, you go ahead and check off the second one. I wanna be biblically baptized. You say, why? That's the way you show faithfulness. When, when that brother got baptized a while ago, oh, that sweet lady got baptized a while ago and we baptized four or five at the first service, what were they doing? They were showing their faithfulness to grace. That's the first thing you do. The way you show that grace has really come into your life is by being baptized. I'm gonna ask you to check off that second box. By the way, we had a man baptized at 915, 30. He got saved when he was 14 years old, but never been biblically baptized. That may be you. You don't need to check off the first box. You do need to check off the second box to show your faithfulness. So I want you to just fill that card out, check all the boxes off. Then you, when you leave, you're gonna go out to the lobby. Go out to our connection point table. You'll see it, can't miss it. Give them your card. They'll take it from there. You don't have to say a word to anybody. Just go to them, they'll take care of your decision. Now, for the rest of us, so you've experienced the grace And the faith that Paul's Paul's talking about, oh yeah, man, I'm free, Pastor. I'm free. So what are you gonna do? You're just gonna let everybody else die in slavery knowing that you've got the key to unlock the shackle? Who's your one? Who's that one person today right now that you, you thought to yourself even when I was preaching? Man, I wish he was here. I wish he was here. Why don't you next week invite that person to come with you here? Get that started. Father, I have a great people. People that listen, people that are patient, thank you. I pray, Heavenly Father, that nobody, nobody would leave here in bondage any longer because you came, Lord Jesus, to give us freedom and to set us free. And we thank you for that freedom in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.